0: What's up and welcome back to Now Stalgia Pod, giving you uh, a thick, thick podcast today, Dave. Earthy podcast, if you will.
1: Yeah, super, super thick, bro. Super thick. Yeah. The content mind's overflowing with bounty this week.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know if you're tuning in, I should say my name is Pat Sheehan and that's my co-host Dave Martinson that you just heard, and we're bringing you your weekly updates in the world of music. TV and movies. And Dave, we kind of have to start with a very familiar topic on this podcast, which is a speculated Kanye West album. So, yesterday afternoon, I was perusing Twitter and I saw Kanye was trending, which is always of interest to me. Anyone that listens to the podcast knows that we're both pretty big Kanye fans. And respectfully, Justin uh Justin LeBoy who hosts the respectfully Justin podcast. Um Revolt TV. Tweeted that. Uh Kanye played his new album for me and Katie Trey Five, Kevin Durant, last night in Vegas. Man, listen, the production is light years ahead of its time and the bar sound like he's broke and hungry trying to trying to get signed again. Any artist who could plan on dropping soon should just push it back. Hashtag respectfully and with the uh how about would you like blowing uh, blowing air out of the nose right and you know i i read that and i'm like fat fat chance like i don't i don't believe we're gonna be getting kanye albums soon but it sounds like it might be happening what's the update you got right so since
1: that came out which i think most people were definitely shaking with a grain of salt we have official announcement from live nation that there is a donda listening event at mercedes-benz stadium in atlanta this thursday the 22nd Notable for many reasons, That's an official event reminiscent of the Yeezy season three slash Life of Pablo yeah. listening event at Madison Square Garden in 2016. And I guess also similar to the Wyoming listening sessions for uh, Yay and those albums, although that was more or less just media uh, listening. And that definitely gives it some credibility because going in before that, I was like, all right, well, Revolt TV said something cool. Um if he actually I'm sure he kind played him the music I'm not doubting that but there's no way if he kind actually played him music in confidence he'd be like yo that shit sucked you know obviously (laughs) he's protecting his access so it's really a worthless take if you ask me Um, also Kevin Durant's opinion on it probably doesn't matter too much he is publicly said that his favorite Jay-Z album is American Gangster which is a take (laughs) so again you take what you have but it seems like it's public and more than anything else, I'm just struck with the fact that Donda is still the name of the album because uh-huh. Donda is over a year old and there's just a litany of lost Kanye albums at this point. Good Ash job. So help me God, Yandy and Donda was the latest. And now uh-huh. Donda may be, in fact, be unearthed. I'm sure there are still many iterations of Donda and this is not what it was once at one time but something's happening it's it, it, there seems to be something real and usually you don't actually have this much to latch onto when there's
0: like a false flag when it comes to a new Kanye project right so I guess the hopes are up yeah you know I think the one thing that gives me a lot of optimism for this album and I hate to say this but he has had some turmoil in his personal life recently around a relationship and that seemed to be something that has sparked some of his best work in the past, obviously the beautiful dark twisted fantasy um, with the relationship with Amber Rose and all the drama around that just seems like maybe we're going to get an an inspired or at least um, a return to form for Kanye is my hope. But I mean, what are your expectations of any Kanye project at this point? Jesus is King, obviously I think the least uh, exciting album that he's ever put out. And, you know kissy ghost we really liked yay was kind of middling so where are you at
1: yeah and well i also just harken back to his brand new feature verse on the second posthumous album from pop smoke notably not a uh return to form for Kanye no. as the rapper <laughs> pretty clearly no room for debate and That's I think that's just what it is, right? Like Kanye hasn't felt like he's totally focused in on his bars. And when he's had a guest spot, they've just kind of been like stream of conscience. There's filler bars. Like everything is just unfinished. And I don't know, maybe if he's not married to Kim K, he has more time. I I don't want to blame her for anything at all. Like, I don't think that's fair. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. He's seeing his kids less. Maybe I don't know if that's positive in general. Um,
2: right,
1: but maybe his circumstances are at least slightly changed, and he can be more professional musician first, and you know have less celebrity obligations. I don't really know. Um, yeah, I man, like you think, of, and like the, it, there's always just the carrot, right? Like there's such there's moments on Jesus mm-hmm. King, there's moments on Yay. Obviously, the 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 verse on Reborn on Kids he Ghosts is widely lauded. It's not like he's watched, he's just so inconsistent lately that just getting consistency would feel so awesome,
0: yeah, I'm hoping that this is a um I'm hoping that this is at least on like the level of life of Pablo, you know um which I oh. think you look back and imagine
1: that yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: five five years ago. We were like, ah, you know, you can see some of the, the seams mm-hmm. coming apart for Kanye. And I'm a back fixed like, wolf. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We were so young. <laughs> Life of Pablo is just uh, completely, uh, you know, I think I think it's aged really well in, in retrospect. So yeah. um, anyways, we're going to keep you updated with Kanye. This all could blow up and we're not going to hear anything for months. Mm. We don't know. But I also want to say this seems pretty imminent. Seems like we might be getting an album. And the fact that we might get a Kanye album before a Drake album this year is oh unbelievable to me. That is insane, so. actually, come to think of it. Wow.
2: Yeah.
0: Did not I mean, consider that. Certified Lover Boy has been something we've been anticipating for months now. So <laughs> the fact Kanye's kind of just coming out of nowhere. is just like, okay. I made this um, in a week. Take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're going to uh shift gears onto another surprise drop. Um, this past week, Eve's tumor, an artist that has been increasing in terms of my, my fascination over the last year. And, um, if you, anyone that's tuned into the podcast, listen to our end of year, best of music last year, I threw one of their, one of his songs onto, uh, my top 10, um, Kevin who had tortured mind an album that came out last year that garnered a lot of acclaim, a lot of attention, rightfully so. I mean, I think especially the first half of that album is just uh, hit after hit after hit. And Eve's Tumor, you know, it, I think critically has had a lot of attention since even his first album back in 2015. So when Asymptotical World, the EP, dropped this past Thursday, I was like, oh, Eve's Tumor, let's tune in. Let's see what we got here. Let's see what he's cooking up. And what I really find fascinating about East tumors He really seems to kind of mesh together some aspects of like hip hop with like pure rock, which we don't really hear a lot now. And he seems to also have this personality of like a true like throwback kind of rock star to me. Um, you know, you watch some of the videos, you watch you listen to some of the songs and the content, you're like, oh, this feels like kind of a throwback type of dude. And then this album, this EP didn't really didn't really hit for me, Dave. Mm. Uh, maybe and we'll get into it but just like what what were you expecting going in here where were you at
1: yeah well, I, I only came on him last year like a lot of people you know listen to care scene uh, obviously the big highlight there and definitely really talented really interesting like you said doing lots of kind of rock sounds, but like really like I think genuinely bringing like psychedelic rock to the forefront while bringing in uh-huh. all kinds of other stuff, it's just kind of a unique blend to hear. And a lot of the songs do go hard. And like, there's also, you know, I think quite rich lyrics in songs, especially like a song like Kerosene, but they're not like soft, like laid back songs by any means. Uh, and listen to this EP, definitely surprised and expect that out on Warp Records. And I was definitely struck with that lead single, Jackie, which I think uh-huh. uh, just, you know, goes really hard and the drums are awesome on that. Uh, in doing research, I noticed that this song was co-written by Chris Griotti, who has notably worked with Youngblood and Poppy, to other people that have been bringing rock ideas to the front, to the mainstream. So bit of an interesting collaborator because it definitely feels, you know, coming into this EP, if I like use two more just kind of doing his own thing to beat of his own drum. But if he's got some people that have a lot of pop experience for this kind of thing, working with him too, I think that really bodes well for... Uh, his future, and Jackie, the vocal performance reminded me a lot of Trippy Red of all people, which mm. he's someone who likes to put himself on a pedestal as the rock star, you know, even though he's uh, a melodic rapper. And the fact that Eves two more reminded me of Trippy was just funny to me because I definitely think of Eves in a much higher esteem,
0: but sure. that's what I heard, vocally. <laughs> then you have like these, you know, really sick drums, so. Yeah, I I like Jackie a lot. Yeah, Jackie, I think, is the clear standout here. And then I think the other track that probably was my favorite was Secrecy is incredibly important to the both of them. Just kind of like the guitars and like the drums, the way that they kind of just like blend together and whirl around in that really stands out as like the the energy I think I was expecting from an used tumor drop. But then a couple of the tracks, you know, I, I was saying I was a little disappointed with it. A couple of the tracks felt a little bit more honed down i think and maybe not in a way i found super interesting um huck is kind of like a shoegazy type feel to it right and um while i think certainly we, we've checked out a couple of shoegaze type albums and you can uh i'm trying to think of who they might have been the last couple of years but um i think like years and years maybe is who i'm like thinking of something like that uh, sure but The second one yeah yeah. But use to but for East tumor that I felt just a little bit, um, unexpected, not necessarily bad, but I think just not what I was hoping for. Um, but you know, I think for this being an EP, a surprise EP, this just leads me to feel like he's got a lot of inspiration right now. He's got a lot of, uh, work going on. And I'm hoping that this leads to something bigger, hopefully by the end of the year or maybe early next year for him. Cause, uh, I'd like to see him out there touring. I'd like to catch him in concert if possible. So yeah, he has a any tour other... coming. Yeah. Oh, does he? Good. Mm-hmm. Um, any other standouts for you?
1: Um, I j- <laughs> Jackie was the only one that really stuck in my mind, but he he does jump around a lot on a Short EP, and I think that mm-hmm. just speaks to what he's been doing of late, just bringing all kinds of stuff in. And yeah, sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it's not the energy you're expecting, but it's
0: definitely not boring. boring. No, for sure not. Um, highly recommend just checking it out, and also, obviously, um, checking out some of his past work. But we're going to move forward to another artist who I think it's very hard to <laughs> pin down your expectations for them at this point. That's Willow Smith. You know, last time we talked about Willow Smith's twenty nineteen, and I'm trying to remember what what was our take on Willow. I think I, I think we were pretty lackluster on it, right?
1: Yeah, I believe she's done a lot of music lately, and it's kind of been jumping around a lot. I believe that was the jazz-ish album, Blues. Mm -hmm. Definitely not what this new one is, anyway. And it was like, I I think you could tell she was coming into her own as like a real artist, you know, as a a relative adult, you know, considering Mm -hmm. she has been known as a musician in one form or the other for over 10 years at this point with my hair was 2011 it's been a long time for her she's only 20 now i think it is right um or 22 I'm whatever so. it is uh she's young 20 i think and i, I think that was kind of takeaway, right like she was didn't seem as advanced as Jaden in terms mm-hmm. of her career but that seems to have quickly changed you look on spotify mm-hmm. this the monthly listeners are there she is racking up streams at this point and I'm not sure exactly when the pivot to pop pump was happening, but it's happened in full aesthetic wise and music wise following the footsteps of machine gun, Kelly and Olivia Rodrigo, something. It's a very mainstream subgenre in pop for famous people right now. And whether it's something Willows really into or not from her youth, who can I, well, how can I speak to that? But on one hand, like, I don't even know. Does the authenticity matter? Authenticity matter to you? Because like she has jumped around a lot, but also she's so young that like if she is gonna trying to find her voice, find her sound, it's not. It doesn't come off. It didn't come. It doesn't come across to me as like trend chasing as much as Machine Gun Kelly's pivot did because MGK was just much older and more seasoned in his career. Does that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, how'd you how you feel about this just change?
0: Totally shocked. Yeah. Honestly, like I, I, when I started playing the album, I was, uh, you know, put it on as I was doing other stuff and I immediately checked my phone. I was like, I think I put the wrong album on, you know, cause it just was not at all what I was expecting from her. I mean, this is you know the, the artist who blew up with, uh, I whipped my hair back and forth. And like you said, her last album we reviewed was I think a little bit more in the, uh, the same lane as someone like Ari Lennox or something like that. And then, this was a totally different energy. And I think I kind of chalked this up to Willow being maybe one of the most like Gen Z artists out there right now. Because I think she really just does not want to be pinned down to any one genre or sound. Um, I think, like you said, she's kind of still exploring her artistry. Um, and, you know, knowing her and Jaden and just kind of like the third eye stuff that they're that's so associated with them. I'm really not surprised to see a switch up like this. Cause I think they're always kind of like trying to subvert what you expect from them. So um, while I was surprised when I first listened, I was also pretty taken by how good I thought this album sounded. Um, you know, you, you have Tyler Cole collaborating with her and, and um, obviously producing most of this again, but you have Travis Barker on a couple of tracks. You have Tierra Wack showing up Avril Levine. I mean, you're not
1: doing pop punk if you're not bringing Avril back. We know the Avril comeback is well underway at this point.
0: Uh, and that, I thought that song was pretty good. Not gonna lie, and Avril Levine sounded pretty good. So, uh, what was your take? Did you enjoy this?
2: Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I don't know if I was necessarily wowed by anything, but like, like, like Olivia Rodriguez, "Good for You," carbon copy of paramore's misery business but it still kind of strikes you as a song even if it's more or less a carbon copy a clone if you will willow almost i think it's just being more more i don't want to say generic but more less less specific in her influence of with this pop punk right and mm-hmm. i think i think her performance is really good a song like the like what i think is the second single transparent soul with travis barker like the way she belts out that hook the transparency like it's convincing you know um lipstick another song i thought she was really good on Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean it's pretty tight you know sub 30 minutes definitely her most interesting album to date i'd say that's quite obvious
0: yeah i I agree on the vocal performance on lipstick you know that like "Oh, oh, oh like it really just grabs you it's such a uh impressive i think vocal um just like display but you know i wanted to ask you because we haven't heard a lot from Tierra whack recently how did you feel about that verse that she does at the end of extra i like that song a lot
1: it definitely was like a jolt of energy towards the end of the yeah. album uh just for sure Wanna new tiara whack project man she's been popping up in guest spots kind of consistently but we haven't had anything from her since whack world it's been a while
0: yeah, I, I was I just loved hearing her and I feel like there's gotta be something around the corner from her. Um but overall I thought I thought everything on this worked. I don't know if any of it, like you said, was like blow me away good. But you know, sometimes with Travis Barker too, you know, you see him as like featuring Travis Barker. You know he's just giving his like a drum solo or something like that. Yeah. Um but still I, I thought like the features worked pretty well and I'm interested just to see where she goes next. I feel like she made a quality album. Maybe she'll continue in this lane or maybe the next one will be something completely different. Who knows? Right. But I, I, I appreciate that about Willow.
1: Yeah, I agree. In terms of Travis Barker features, I feel like they're just basically a flag. that Hey, this was actually a performed uh, percussion and not just a drum kit on the computer. <laughs> so
0: be happy about it, you know? Yeah, pretty much. Um, any last thoughts on Willow? Uh, keep doing your thing girl you know it's uh it's it's cool to see her
1: and jaden uh really becoming actual artists given that you know they're coming from the silver spoon no one had high expectations for a while and
0: there's there's are seeming to earn it you know it's it's nice to see absolutely um dave do you feel like john mayer has earned the success (laughs) he has because man we're eight albums in a couple of uh of compilation albums and extended plays and mm-hmm. man
1: 43 years old many public relationships later
0: and, yeah many public relationships later and you know Sabrock rock comes out he you know the first single uh was it like last strain home got a lot of attention when it first dropped mm-hmm. because john mayer's going 80s um and i think there was a lot of hope that this could be a an interesting John Mayer album you know we haven't really I think gotten anything like blow me away from John Mayer since I don't know Is does the search for everything is, did that blow you away Paradise Valley Born and Raised like what, are we going back to Battle Studies the last time we were really yeah, you like, gotta going be going back
1: you, got, you gotta be going back I'm not the biggest John Mayer guy in the first place but Theory of Everything 2017 we did talk about that audio only day SoundCloud.com/slash so nostalgia pod get to scrolling for that but yeah that one did not wow me at all um so yeah you got you got to go back for the for, for john Mayer right. hits, as it were so, not that i'm a big big into them in the first place but yeah it's been a while i think
0: it's been over a decade probably 2009 battle studies you know you have half my heart heartbreak warfare who says perfectly lonely like that was probably edge of desire these are you know riding through john mayer hits um so then he gets a sob rock and i think people were feeling optimistic and uh i think after like the first maybe like four songs this felt pretty one note to me i (laughs) didn't find it to be super impressive although i do always find his guitar play impressive and it was it was you know an easy listen i'll say it's something you can put on and enjoy but it's not something that you're like, ah, John Mayer, I'm going to tell my kids about this someday. It's kind of like another John Mayer album. Did you feel the same? Yeah. It's
1: easy to listen to because it's low effort. And <laughs> John Mayer is someone who again, not so recently, but has been highly esteemed as an artist for a long time. Uh, the Uh, I think the lack of ambition on this is what just stands out to me. And it was really <laughs> funny listening to the press from him. He's like, I want you know, I'm like, I want people to tell me a shit. I want people to, you know, I'm not chasing any trends. It's like, actually, bro, you are chasing the biggest trend of all. You're doing 80s pop music right now, bro. Everyone's doing this. This is trend chasing. Like, I I was, I I couldn't help but laugh when I saw that he had said that. Like, and like, there's no way he came to this on his own. Obviously, people told him to do this because it would, it would probably play better. You know, Uh, it's just, just funny to see and it, it, actually the first single from this is new light from 2018. I don't know why that song had been out so long right after the last album, but either way, last train home I think uh notable to me because of the obviousness of its 80s influence. The the kick drum and the synths are just Toto's Africa. Like mm-hmm. it, it's all you can hear, right?
2: Yeah,
0: I mean it's it sounds exactly like it to start off with um I, and i i don't i don't find any other songs on this or even really that interesting like wild blue i guess stands out maybe a little bit cuz it's so it's like maybe the grooviest track he's got there um why no love me like why why is that the lyrics did i miss yeah, well, something there
1: there's just some shitty hooks on this right like some really <laughs> terrible lyricism why you no love me till the right one That's comes bad.
2: Uh, yeah, all I want one comes
1: is to be with you. The hooks are just repeating the title of a song five times. It's like, bro, I can get this from C tier Atlanta rappers anytime I want. Like, I expect <laughs> a little, little, little more advancement than this, you know? And it's just, it just feels like it's underwritten. And not that he's like the strongest, ever been the strongest writer, but like I said, I just, it just kind of come, comes across as low effort. It's just, here's John Mayer doing it. Chill 80s vibes and
0: take it, do what you want with it.
2: Yeah, and you,
0: I go back to it's still enjoyable. It, it just because it's like it's easy. It's easy yeah. listening and I can I can get with that. I, I respect John Mayer. I'll throw him on on a nice summer night, having a, a few beers and just relaxing. But this is a a, a great album, I would say. A uh, couple of, of tracks I did like mentioned last train home. New Light obviously is, I think, a standout, but it's not new um wild blue like i mentioned um yeah i'm trying to think of any of these other ones maybe all i want is to be with you kind of like that singer song yeah just ignore the hook that sucks yeah um but overall whatever it's john mayer it's easy at least he's working yep and dave (laughs) we're gonna go from soft to softer because we're going to claro But I think the thing about Clara that I'll say is this is her thing. You know, she's in I was almost going to say she's in that like indie rock girl zone, but I I think that's a bit reductive, right? She's a bit more, she's a bit more Gen Z than probably the the years that we would be talking about in there. You know, she blew up, what, 2017 with Pretty Girl? 2018, Uh, I think, yeah. And I think the thing that stood out to people then was uh, I think a surprisingly catchy and good soft indie song mixed with a music video that felt very Gen Z. You know, I think Mm -hmm. if you watch it, it's her just sitting in front of a computer, uh, you know, laptop camera DIY making. Yeah, it's it's very low, low fi the video. Almost Maggie Rogers-esque, right? In terms of the origin story yeah exactly uh we did not review her first album um but this is her second one sling and um i think there's some some moments on here but it's long especially for a gen z album and i found a lot of it to feel a bit redundant and just too meandering for me yeah you felt the same
1: yeah, it, it's, I mean, look at her, you know, look at her Spotify, healthy listening total. A lot of big tracks. Most of them are older from that first album, Immunity, and the debut EP, Diary 001. And, you know, songs like, you mentioned Pretty Girl, the blow-up song, but also other ones like Flaming Hot Cheetos, Hello, Sophia. It's got some big yeah. tracks. I think you look listen to those songs, which have clearly been, except those her sort of highlights to date. And... It's like a really light, breezy uh, vocals, right? It's like really chill indie pop music. Definitely not indie rock. It's just light indie pop stuff. And on the second album, Sling, notably, brought in Jack Antonoff, who notably uh, brought the biggest pop star to the woods last year. And it's actually what he did with Claro as well. Claro uh, recorded this in upstate New York in the mountains. And yeah. it's some chill folk stuff. And she managed to get even lighter and softer. I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> like, you didn't think
0: she could do it, but she did. I, I mean, I I think it's still a, a pretty impressive album for someone who's, she's what, 23? And this is her 22. second, like, r- mm-hmm. real album. Pretty... Yeah impressive. Um, you know, songs like Bags or um Softly, you know, if you're talking about Soft, Softly really stands out to me. Actually those might be off the last album, I'm sorry. Um mm-hmm, there. I was thinking. I was uh thinking more about Blouse. Um yes. which Lord backing vocals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um which if you're gonna get Lord to sing backing vocals that's quite the sign off. Um but blouse really stands out me those backing vocals but just the way that they harmonize together um i thought was pretty impressive what what are other tracks that stood out to you
1: yeah i, I had two that stood out to me just because they kind of changed the energy a little bit for the album because i don't think claro's the oh, not the strongest vocalist or at least she doesn't leave like a really like in your face vocal impression anyway like i said it's light it's it's laid back so mm-hmm. a song like amoeba the keys the snare Really noticeable, kind of picks up the track uh, later on. A uh, zinnius that acoustic strumming with those drums again, kind of just picks up the energy just a little bit. Because I feel like uh, other tracks on on Sling, they, they can just kind of blend together because vocally it's not a showy performance. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's either got to really be your vibe, or you might just kind of fade in and out with this kind of stuff.
2: Yeah,
0: you know, it's funny. I was thinking about your point about Antonoff and Taylor Swift and i think also getting solar power from lord is that for a single Antonoff being such a force especially within the female pop star realm right now it seems like a lot of his focus is on going softer and blending that with his like usual like 80s rock type trappings of his production mm-hmm. and it just feels like it's moving pop music into this very like laid back almost like chill hop direction that is becoming uh, to me a little bit boring i don't know how you feel about like ants off at this point but you know if, if if we were talking about this what two years ago or was it last year with norman fucking rockwell even um and exciting. 2019 yeah it we would i would have told you you were lying if you told me that this is the direction it would have gone in but it really seems like even with his own music you know a couple of the singles we've heard like he's really just in the going this toned down direction and i want to see him try to get back to a little bit more of that like green light like mm. uh just like more upbeat stuff
1: yeah t- i totally totally agree i guess the one thing i would just counter with is perhaps this is just product of the pandemic claro recorded most of this at that studio but she was quarantined with her family for most of last year mm-hmm. right Taylor quarantining Lord couldn't leave her home country quarantine with the rest of us right like I think we I think we need to see a longer stretch of time before like it's like a noted like specific trend right and mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of brings me to my criticisms of Taylor Swift re-recording her material not because there's anything wrong with that but just because it's for, it's slowing down getting the next new Taylor album so we actually know what direction Taylor's going in because I can't imagine we're getting another folk album after Folklore and Evermore, right? Claro, she has always been light and, and slow and, and and chill, so it doesn't surprise me as much getting it from her, right? And I guess right. bringing Jack Antonoff in, especially at this time, a great
0: call, you know?
2: Oh, for her, for sure. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. I think I'm just hoping it doesn't Go going that direction. Claro as a like Gen Z type artist. I mean, you mentioned some of the hits on Spotify here. Uh, we're talking like close to 300 million views or plays for Sophia. A couple others over 200 a bunch over a hundred. I mean, she does pretty good numbers. Uh, going to be interesting to see the, the space she has carved out for herself in this, like uh music world moving forward because it seems like she's got a lot of attention um maybe this is just like a a new like Joni Mitchell for her age or something
1: like that (laughs) yeah who she cites as an influence anyway yeah that's Uh, the thing too it's like she doesn't really have a direct peer as much right she's a lot younger than Lord, definitely a lot Mm -hmm. younger than Taylor I guess Maggie Rogers is similar to her age but Maggie Rogers definitely makes more live music Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure who the direct like Comparison even should be at this point. Like she was featured on the Charlie XCX album Charlie from 2019, but mm-hmm. obviously they're very different
0: artists. Like I can't, I can't really, I'm not really sure who her direct peer would be. Here it will come to me after we're, we're done recording. So, right. um, I'll I'll make sure to throw that in there or tweet about it if I think of it. But Dave, I think we gotta move off the the rock or the the soft rock and move on to pop smoke um got a another posthumous album we've unfortunately over the course of the podcast talked about quite a few of them um the varying degrees of success i think obviously mac miller uh circles was the clear standout of all the posthumous albums we've talked about and this pop smoke pop smoke album faith i thought was certainly not the worst posthumous album i've ever heard but just felt like many of these posthumous albums very bloated with a lot of features because you kind of have to have a lot of features and it almost just kind of didn't even feel much like a pop smoke album at times um but overall i think there was still some tracks worth talking about before we get into those how were you feeling going into this album and then after listening to it
1: yeah, I definitely was not optimistic for the, u- the usual reasons of posthumous albums, right? We're coming off a triumphant first posthumous album for Pop Smoke, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon. Ooh. Made my top 10, a- an album that, by, against all odds, was the fifth best-selling album of 2021 right now. Third best-selling album of last year, the year it came out, but it's the fifth best-selling album of this year, too. And it's only behind one actual new release this year from Olivia Rodrigo. Like, it's insane that the Pop Smoke's Posthumous album was as successful as it was. It spawned tons of TikTok hits, but also just amazing songs that, again, as we've been saying for a while, everyone knows at this point, just showed the kind of wide-ranging talent Pop Smoke would have been able to in and the force he would have been if he had lived, right? What you know about love comes to mind, of course, something special. All these tracks, these bangers, right? And just show how multifaceted he really was. And now to get a second posthumous album pretty quick, right? And he listened to it. And a lot of features. Not that we didn't have a lot of features last year. It was a lot of features. And this just really screams of just kind of creative bankruptcy, man. This is this is really unethical to me. By all accounts, his mom wanted another album. You know, that's the estate trying to to, to make money, whatever. But the label obviously really, you know, formed this. And if Pop Smoke was still alive, how many of these performances, how many of these random hooks and half-finished verses would he have even wanted to share with the world? Because none of them are that good, you know? Like, I think Pop still sounds good just because of his sheer talent, right? He just has a bravado. He has a gruffness. He has a charisma as a performer. Yeah. And that that's still there but that's kind of all he's bringing on this to me because he's really almost an MC on his old album as he just kind of shuttling through all these features. So Mm -hmm. I was really disappointed with it, but again, I wasn't that
0: surprised that this is how it came out.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: I think the thing that like stood out to me and the reason that the reason we're always cautious with these posthumous albums is almost every track felt different. And I think that points to something that you don't really usually get when an artist obviously is able to put their creative Mark over something, at least a, an artist of pop smokes caliber, right? Because like you go through the track list and tell uh, the vision with Kanye and Pusha T feels like a good music. Kanye song uh, manslaughter feels like a Rick Ross song, you know um, it, i think as you have these different artists pop up give a verse um it it really just does not feel like it's something that came genuinely from pop now do i think all these songs are necessarily bad no i I think some of them are are all right and i and i think it's like it's fun sometimes to hear some of the the features like i like what's cracking with takeoff um actually stood out to me as like yeah. one of the better tracks um, and I, I thought takeoff sounded great better than anything we got on culture three so it's mm-hmm. also uh you know kind of nice to see or even something like woo baby with chris brown you know obviously they're um using the um like the neo song um so tired of love love songs or whatever it is but right. um you know like th- those sorts of things i found fun then there's other tracks man like Kid Cudi, 8-Ball, like, I hated that
2: track. I thought that was one
0: of the worst ones. Um, I The two with Pusha T, um, even though it's always fun to hear Pusha pop up. Uh, the one with Kanye, television, and then Hop Shot, I thought were both pretty bad. So, hit and miss. Any of
1: that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, Pusha T's there because he's also managed by Pop Smoke's manager, Stephen Victor. So, kind of uh, label machinations on that one. Uh, Looking at the track list, seeing uh, demeanor with Dua Lipa stood out to me. I was like, oh God, is this a duet's final chapter type situation? Mm -hmm. The way Diddy just kind of bastardized the last of the uh, biggie uh, snippets and demos and all that. Not necessarily, like, obviously, Dua Levitating took off with "De Baby. She's acquitted herself well with rappers, but that song is really weird to me. Like, I feel like Pop, the mix on Pop, is off it's bad and like it just it felt really disjointed and you know kind of cut and pasted and
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know listening to some of the other songs um was okay so i wrote a few of these down more time this is the the second track and what's cracking and uh well one of the ones with Pusha T. they actually had uh pop reciting like lyrics he already had on more time he's like her ass fat feel like jello which is basically just what the hook on hello from last year is as mm. jello you know on the King of new york mellow. Yep. like again this this feels like these were demos you know um what's cracking he says run rookie yeah he running obviously that's from welcome to the party his first hit yep. um you know what was it on one of the other songs he says big 38 for the weapon again which is from 44 bulldog from last year like i just wonder if like this either like oh well pop didn't finish this verse let's find something that fixed that we do have you know we have no way of knowing if that was actually the verse you know yeah or maybe it was actually a demo and he had done it in a better way and that's why we heard that song already last year so that kind of stuff just kept sticking in my mind as i noticed it um i guess one thing that i did think was funny was on uh beat the speaker pop says it's 10k a feature which obviously is
0: very dated because yeah.
1: pop smoked today or last way more. year.
0: if he was alive it's way more than 10k if we all know way that. more than 10K. <laughs> um yeah you know i i think for a posthumous album it's not all bad but you know i think like you said even some of the ethical moral aspect of to the suit even been something that was made is certainly something to consider right. before
1: listening um yeah. I just wanted to note, too, um, I think my favorite track is probably 30 featuring Busy Banks just because Busy Bakes is a Brooklyn rapper. I don't know if he actually like completely crossed paths with Pop Smoke, but he's definitely like uh, come up in the uh, evolution of Brooklyn Drill since everything happened with Pop Smoke. And I thought he absolutely spazzed on that one. That was a really good feature, but also feature I feel like makes sense. you know. Um, speaking of these Poshmas albums, though, we just got a, a trailer. For the second juice world posthumous album coming soon the party never dies Uh, as usual the caveats
0: apply yeah well we'll talk about it maybe um why don't we get off of music though and what if we talk a little bit about betty the very delightful hbo series i don't know it's not a mini series i guess because it's you know Second no. season, but it's <laughs> not also, yet renewed for
1: season three, we
0: hope. But it's also a, uh, a mini season, I guess. Only six episodes. It's yeah. kind of funny how quickly, you know, we, we do the, the first we review the first episode. I might fall a couple behind. Then before I know I'm like, oh, crap, the season's half over. I have to catch up. Um, and that that's a, exactly what I did. And I thought the second season, well, not quite meeting the highs of the first season for me um i thought the second season was still pretty sharp and really interesting to see all the different directions that the girls were going in however i do think that's part of the reason why it didn't reach the highs for me is that the scenes i like the most and we say this a lot with shows with this many characters i wouldn't they're all interacting together you didn't get as much of that this season but season two of betty dave are you up on it down on it where are you at
1: yeah still liked it um you have to figure that we got less Uh, ensemble scenes because of covid obviously this was shoot a shot on location in new york city this is not a show with sets um Mm. very strenuous shoot according to the showrunner Chris cell by all accounts so that explains a lot you have to figure right it's basically our main crew all doing their own disparate storylines for the most part obviously there's other characters with them but they're not as connected as much and i have to imagine that's really just did planning the production more than anything else but i still think they did a lot of i think there's a lot of interesting plots and I, I was quite satisfied once again with the season you know it's not as i think revelatory as season one because season one was just a really smart continuation of the original movie skate kitchen so obviously the second season's not gonna pop the same way but it continues in in the same way and also will I feel like an interesting time capsule due to being a show that is acknowledging COVID's existence versus pretending it doesn't exist. Like everyone's wearing masks and there's little COVID plot points in the, in the finale. Right. So it's uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: a little different than a lot of other dramas.
0: Yeah. And I liked that. I think we mentioned this in the episode one review. Um, I liked that it was just kind of an aspect of the world that was accepted and not really like our, are fun like season starts COVID is already full swing the effects of it are already being seen you know we see Indigo quit a job because a uh, shopper won't wear a mask and things like that so just kind of part of the world um and I didn't feel like it like derailed the season or really was even a major plot point until the very end like you mentioned um but you meant you you said that there was a lot of different storylines and uh, character arcs, which ones were you most interested in the season? Which ones worked best? So
1: in general, I thought it was nice that romances, whether they're going positively negatively, they're barely going at all they're going full steam. I like that everyone basically had something along those lines romance-wise, that was, I think that, was that was cool in terms of enriching these characters into, now that mm-hmm. into our second season um, in terms of those romances, I think the stuff with Janae is probably uh, my favorite out of that, but I did like all of it. Um, I also really liked the stuff with Camille once again, because she's probably the most connected to the skating culture themes of the show and, you know, from the movie, and in terms of shining a light on sexism in like skate media and social media and influencing and all that stuff. So, again, things always done really tactfully and genuinely. And I really liked how that, where that, season, where that uh, arc went.
2: Yeah. I, I actually
0: um, found the stuff with Honey Bear this season and, and her relationship and the openness of the relationship, right. with, like the third party. I found it to be very hit or, hit or miss and actually um, a big rating. Um And I think that was just the aspect of the lack of uh, communication between them. Um, I, I felt a little bit the same about Kurt with, uh their relationship with uh, Micah's girlfriend all right yeah you know, although I, I do have to say it did set up for a very like devastating end for Kurt um which I thought really paid off well um the stuff with indigo you know uh, being homeless um becoming a, uh, a sugar baby um and mm-hmm. pulling uh, Camille into that world briefly um how did you feel about the way that was portrayed and
1: that that plot uh it is i always like seeing that portrayed in this mainstream culture just because like as an acknowledgement obviously we saw this recently with shiva baby the independent mm-hmm. film um i thought it was cool you know like the the homelessness aspect is kind of like doesn't hit as much for me because indigo is like a rich girl right she's got kicked mm-hmm. out of the house by her mom like it, it's it's not quite the same to me you right. know but uh, I, th- I thought they did a really good job with with all the seeking arrangements, you know, sugar baby stuff, because like there's an inherent tension, uh, tension and danger to that stuff and doesn't fully
0: manifest for a few episodes. So I thought that mm-hmm. was handled well. Yeah, I thought that was hand- handled well, too. And it just kind of had this impending sense of doom around it, like you knew something was going to go wrong or go bad with it. Um, and I-, I thought the way that it paid off with, you know, that one guy showing up to the party at the end and mm. the issue she has with the other guy before who, you know, is trying to uh, perform sexual acts on her, for, uh, to pay her for that was um, I thought really interesting. Going back to Kurt real quick, I thought her like harem of guys that she was like trying to educate on how to treat women was a really funny, like running. Oh yeah. Aspect of the, of the season. And I, I loved seeing that. And the way that the guys responded to her was so funny. Mm-hmm. Talking about oh. the the male G spot. Hilarious.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that that was great. That was great. Um, culminating with all them dressing up as her for at the <laughs> Halloween party. Awesome. Yeah. And that, that's the best stuff about Kurt. Like, Kurt's, like, own personal journey with Micah's girlfriend kind of, like, meandered a little bit, right? Not quite as interesting. Right. And, like, the Kurt character is really aloof and you know, vibey. Right. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think when the, when the, when the plot is not as focused for that character, it's not as cool, but like having all the, it's, it's a nice way to bring all those secondary characters in the ensemble, all these male skaters uh, into a, a interesting way. And again, kind of, you know, bringing like the, 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 gender relations themes of the show back into the front. And yeah, I agree with you about the honey bear stuff. I, I just, I found honey bear stuff in season one, really, really dull. So this was definitely a step up from that, but still mm. I think just the fact that she's like a reserved character kind of gets in the way of her plots. Like she just yeah, can't help herself sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um I, I agree with that. And I think Janae's relationship, well, they won't they, but more so Janae becoming the like activist leader, mm. uh, trying to like get everything I thought was really interesting. And then obviously Camille has like the same storyline trying to become a serious skater wanting to be taken seriously, not, you know, always being taken seriously by the people around her and you know, the, the label influence, uh, some of that hit, some of it didn't, but, um, I think definitely with some, some nice payoff near the end. So Betty, I think continues to just be a really delightful show to tune into for 30 minutes a week and, and enjoy when it's on. So if you yeah. haven't watched it, I, I highly recommend tuning in Dave, any last thoughts on, betty before we move on
1: i mean two seasons in it's only a six hour
0: commitment so catch the f up you know (laughs) yeah i totally agree um something that's a little bit more a little bit longer in in form but i think also quite delightful was loki um which wrapped up its first season Mm. and we thought was going to be only season we'll talk about that in a second um Just this past Wednesday on Disney Plus, Marvel turning out that content, man. Just always turning it out. But this was actually Marvel content that I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, we talked about that when we reviewed the first episode. Did this season hold your attention, Dave?
1: Yes, it did. I definitely liked Loki the most of our three MCU Disney Plus shows to date. And, you know, had a lot of hype going in because i was really taken with the original trail i thought the first episode did a really good job of setting up our world our our stakes our lack of stakes while still being incredibly expository i was impressed in the early goings how much exposition we're getting from owen wilson's mobius right Explaining the tva explaining multiverses to the audience i was surprised how uh riveting all that just straight info dumping was, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the the arc of the show is is quite successful. I think there's one choice towards the end of the show that perhaps would make the season even stronger, but it still really lands at the end. And i like, I think that's a stark uh, contrast to WandaVision and Falcon, which had really muted and frustrating finales after stronger, earlier stuff in the early going. So. Yeah, quite quite pleased with Loki and getting a season two. Definitely not something I expected, but um obviously welcome welcoming it.
0: With WandaVision earlier in the year, we started to see a little bit of the weirdness of, of the MCU obviously doing the uh, the sitcom style. But beyond that, obviously the end of the season you see Wanda becoming the red witch and all the possibilities that might open up. We know um Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness is coming up. Obviously, Spider-Man into the multiverse. So the multiverse is coming. That's like a certainty in the MCU at this point. And Loki seems to be like that first step towards really like introducing that and kind of leaning into the possibilities of that. And I think they actually did that pretty tactfully here, right? Because I think there's a there's an aspect of that of the multiverse where things can become confusing. Uh, if you don't explain it right, where you can kind of get lost, um, and I think for the most part, the the season was laid out and explained pretty well. I never felt lost in terms of the mechanics of things. I mean, obviously, do I understand how any of this could actually happen? Like uh, on the actual level of multiverses, I'm not smart enough for that stuff. I can, mm. I that thought never crosses stuff. my mind. I, I right. don't care about that. You have to suspend that going in, but I think for the most part, the mechanics of the world that we're jumping into are pretty good. And I think what I really enjoyed and I found impressive about Loki was it did a lot of this ground laying for the future of the MCU, setting up the weirdness, setting up all these different possibilities the different variants, so to speak, while also being a pretty introspective look at Loki as a character. And allowing some real, I think, development in terms of who Loki is, understanding himself, coming to peace with certain aspects of himself. Um, And and I think they did that in really interesting ways. Obviously, pairing Hiddleston's Loki with Sophie DiMartino's Sylvie, um, a female variant of Loki, I thought was a really good choice and allowed a bit of romance with himself. (laughs) In the season, mm. which I thought was interesting. I mean,
1: real romance in the MCU. There's not much yeah. to speak of, you know. They actually let it like really commit, which, mm-hmm. which was so welcome. But I think something we talked about going in and a huge criticism of mine of Falcon Winter Soldier was that Loki was actually allowed to be a season of television that worked on its own while also servants in the MCU and the obligations and the things that MCU plot mechanics required, right? Like it did both. It wasn't just there for the MCU. Like it actually works as a season of TV. And that's kind of my number one requirement with this kind of stuff. Because if it's just existing to connect our movies, then it actually doesn't really matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And like Loki going in, I was like, Oh, well, you know, I don't care that much because at least they're, they're explaining that there won't be any stakes. So even if it doesn't feel consequential, I won't mind that much because it's going to be cool and it'll be uh, playing in a sandbox of sorts. And that was still largely the case. And then they managed to drop a bomb on us and introduce uh, the villain of phase four. We have to assume. Do not see that coming.
2: Yeah. Um.
0: I want to save that discussion for the mm-hmm. end just real quick. Um, yeah finishing the point about the you know loki kind of coming face to face with himself and i thought episode five where loki you know runs into all the variants of loki uh you know there's classic loki who's played by richard e grant i thought great casting in that sense there's obviously the alligator everybody loves the alligator mm-hmm. uh fantastic and then obviously there's like kid loki there's um uh both Resident loki. loki yeah yeah So there's a lot of different versions of himself and kind of all their different takes on the world. And um, I I thought that was really fascinating and and helped to bring out the best. And obviously I think also the relationship between Hiddleston and and Owen Wilson on screen, Owen Wilson playing Mobius, um, I thought was really fantastic because I didn't have, I didn't know how Owen Wilson was going to fit into the MCU. I was (laughs) kind of nervous because he can be just very Owen Wilson-y and that can overpower sometimes the movies that he's in, but I thought he was great and loved seeing their chemistry on screen. How'd you feel about his performance?
1: Wow. Wow. <laughs> no, it, it was good. I, I think everyone was immediately taken with Mobius. Right. And yeah. Uh, totally effective. You know, when he come when you he, when he see him come back in, uh, well, where was the place they went when they get pruned? What was it called?
2: I oh, have a God name. I can no,
1: Yeah. It was I forget.
0: something like, it wasn't like purgatory, right? It was. Yeah, some, and the, you know whatever who cares yeah
1: like when he comes back you know like everyone's like
0: like all hype that's that's
1: a fist pump moment right and that that again speaks to how well the show actually works because our introduction to Mobius again is just him info dumping right yeah so credit to michael waldron and everyone making the script and credit to Owen wilson's performance you know it it worked really well you know looking at the rest of the cast you know in the early episodes i was like hmm Gugumabathara, not doing too much. This is not adding up. So I was kind of mm-hmm. uh, not surprised when Ravona had a much bigger role uh, later on uh, yeah. in the series. And I don't know about you, but did you see the Timekeeper's twist coming? Because I immediately was like, this is some Wizard of Oz-esque shit. Like, I, I saw right through that one.
0: Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, I, did totally. I did not see that twist coming, but... Um... Also, when, when it happened, I wasn't like super shocked. I was like, oh, OK, like moving on to something bigger, badder. You know, I think the Wizard of Oz thing is a good analogy for it. even the, you know, the storm that was, you know, I think he, yes, he right. was a similar type thing. Um, and and I, you alluded to it earlier. So let's talk about now. Jonathan Majors shows up in the last episode and gets quite a bit of screen time as he who remains which seems to be a variant of Kang the Conqueror. Yeah. Uh you know, pretty big villain, I guess like the new Thanos for this phase of the MCU. How did you feel about Majors' performance in this? Yeah.
1: So like going in because I knew we knew that Majors was officially cast as Kang will be appearing in Ant-Man 3. As soon as I saw him, I was like, there we go. Right. Like, I don't know if the average audience person is like watching that. They're like, they're not sure what's going on. And then he refers to himself as a conqueror later on, doesn't actually call himself Kang. But uh I get the meta-ness of it all, you know what's going on. Uh I loved it because he fucking vamped, bro. It was awesome. And like that is that's like a 10-second second monologue scene, man. Like that is all Jonathan Majors. And I'm just so struck with he went from like uh breakthrough actor nomination at the fucking indie spirit awards to being a emmy nominated lead in Lovecraft country and a prime time mcu villain in like a two-year span like jonathan major is just fucking skyrocketed man
0: yeah he the energy he brought to he who remains you know this this version of kang the Conqueror who's at the very end of time and seen everything, knows everything's going to happen. It seems a bit senile and losing his mind a little bit. Um, I thought it was perfect, honestly, because it, 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 I've seen some different analogies to, to the performance. I think the one that uh, kind of stands out is it did kind of bring a little bit of like Heath Ledger Joker energy, where it's just kind of like, you had no clue what was coming next. You had no clue what direction he's going to go. It, it felt like anything was possible in terms of that performance from one second to the next. And I think he, he actually played like the genuine surprise of not knowing the next thing really well. And, um, man, I, I just was so pleased that we got so much of him. Cause I I, can't, I, I had a, a hunch that they might have him like a, a mid credit scene and credit scene, something like that. Or maybe we see something alluded to him in terms of the timekeepers eventually, but no, we got a whole, you know 35 minutes with him and uh it was great i'm really it actually made me really excited for this next phase now because uh if we're just gonna be getting jonathan majors playing different versions of kang and all these different marvel movies like yeah sign me up i'm down I'm fuck down. yeah man
1: yeah <laughs> and like i said like that's a fact a bit of subversion that they established a real character on the show while not de- detracting from the show Now, i think thematically if that wasn't kang there in the finale and that was another loki variant i think you might have been able to make the season even tighter mm-hmm. but kang being there was not only entertaining and effective but it didn't hurt the season like it maybe didn't shouldn't have worked as well as it did but it really did so i i also i loved episode three the lamentous one you know i, I would love mm-hmm. more of that stuff where they were you know i think we're a little maybe a little past this now but like uh the TVA stuff, just like going back in time and like doing like adventures. It's like a way to do like, uh, you know, uh, crime of the week stuff and, yep. from a traditional procedural, but still being cool. Like, you mm-hmm. know, the the production values that we we know Disney can handle now with the VFX screens. Like it looked really good.
0: It did look really good. And I agree. I think, I think there's a lot of potential for future shows and, you know, maybe even future Loki episodes because, um, it's coming back for season two, a surprise announcement at the end of this sixth episode. How are you feeling about another season of Loki? Uh,
1: it'll be more, we will definitely get something like Lamentis, I think again. So I'm down, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. whether Kang is as omnipresent in that, I'm not so sure. Cause he'll probably be shifting towards more movie and mm-hmm. more mainstream, you know, uh, obligations. But then again, they do end that season with, uh, the extent you know folks on the statue of Kang in the TVA we're in a different uh, situation here and almost like a hard reset for uh our Loki character so
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm totally down there's a lot of a lot of possibilities you know and that's what's so fun about
0: it is the 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 way they can play with the stakes absolutely um i'm i'm pumped for it. uh more Hiddleston i think is always good uh keep keep going weird um, Waldron seems like he's got to be tapped to be a major part of this moving forward. I mean, obviously um you know, we uh, Kevin Feige is the, you know, the overseer of all Marvel, the executive producer on all of this stuff, but uh, near the end of the last phase, uh we obviously had uh the Russo brothers running things. Do you think Waldron is being tapped for that kind of role uh oh,
1: no nah, i would say no i don't know if we've had any anything like that get presented just yet um what was it was, was was it jack schaefer who was involved with black widow as well as wandavision i'm not sure who it was but someone was involved in black widow in one of the shows but um i actually think this is a good lot. these 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 shows are a Appearing to be good launching off points for the talents notably uh matt shackman of wandavision closed the deal to direct a new star trek movie for paramount and he was highly pursued for other projects as well so marvel will have to offer him something big i think to keep him in the mcu because mm-hmm. you, know, you get a lot of eyeballs and there are only so many uh you know marvel directing chances we just got the Blade director announcement as well today so yeah, but Waldron, uh, I think deserves a lot of a lot of kudos because that uh, that writers' room and him, like they, I think they exceed expectations.
0: I, I completely agree. It was Schaefer, by the way, who was involved with both. So story for Black Widow, and uh, I think he was like the, the creator of Wand Division. So right, um, you have to tune into these Marvel TV shows because they have uh, real real consequences to the uh, MCU at large. So uh, tune in leave us your thoughts and uh why don't we move on to some big screen movies and i guess this was a big screen movie on the little screen uh gunpowder milkshake dropping on netflix this past week um was this a movie you were uh, anticipating at all
1: it's not a movie i was anticipating i just saw it on the calendar uh earlier in the year shot in 2019 acquired by sdx and later sold by sdx to netflix earlier in 2021 so another movie of pre product of pre-quarantine that needed to, to get out and wasn't it wasn't anticipating it didn't really know much about it but then you look at that cast and you you know just think about what what kind of the, the premise and it's like it's definitely appealing so certainly um uh, i had that going in definitely
0: Yeah, I. I, obviously, i not as tuned in as you are. Um, I, I was I had no expectation to go into this movie, and I found it to be pretty fun, a little long. Um, but some of the action set pieces are unique, not things we've seen in other uh, I think action films before. It had a very um, baby driver mm-hmm. type of feel to it, to me, a lot of the time. I mean, even i guess like this is drive but like the way she wears that uh you know like bowling jacket zipped up all the way reminds me of drive and then the stylistic choices reminded me a little bit of baby Driver. so there Mm -hmm. there was some familiarity in in the overall um feeling to the movie right did you enjoy it
1: i i did enjoy it i wasn't super wowed by it but i I think i think it's pretty solid um I was actually struck with the comparisons, like the the world building reminded me a lot of John Wick three, ah. it's an action movie in a like a, a world of a uh, hitmen and assassins and stuff. But like the fact that they have like these rules, that it's a oh you uh, you drop off your gun, right? The the mm-hmm. wait waitress takes it, they le- you leave it at the desk when you go to the magic doctor for the hit, right? Right? It's like this reminds me of John Wick three with the coin. This reminds okay. me of Hotel Artemis with, with yep. you know, stuff like that. So I think it's becoming a bit of convention with uh, movies that hat, try and feature, like, visceral action, but mm-hmm. have franchise ambitions. Notably, uh, this is a co-production with Studio Canal, you know, Co-Pro in Europe. They announced uh, recently that they are developing a sequel to this, which we assume they would put out on Netflix again. And you can tell that because, like, there, there's kind of world aspirations right but even putting that to the side action movie with Karen Gillan Lena Headey Angela Bassett Michelle Yeo it's like yeah I would like to see that
0: yeah and I thought it was pretty enjoyable like I said um, you know I think Karen Gillan uh, as Sam is a little bit wooden I think that's intentional with the characters um, you know backstory being orphaned and put into this world of uh you know being an assassin from a very young age not having a lot of um you know support in her life beyond the the kindness of some of the people in her life but um you know i i felt like the the standout things to me were just i I think about that action scene right where her like arms aren't working and how they like thought of that super creative and like all the aspects that i thought were really fun um then the you know her arms aren't working and she has to get out of the parking garage with the kid in her lap i thought that was a great scene and then the the ending scene you mentioned at the library where you know all the women are fighting the male assassins together it was just really fun so uh, well i think there's this isn't a movie that's gonna be nominated for any awards i guess maybe some technical ones uh potentially i don't i don't think so but um mm-hmm i think overall it was still a really just a fun pleasurable turn your mind off watch
1: yeah i mean that's the thing is i don't know if i have like a whole that much all that much to say i like the ingenuity of of the action like you said i think the stuff when karen Gillen can't use her arms is Mm -hmm. it's really really fun quite convincing um this doesn't have quite the like visceral r-rated like f you up shit like john wake or or nobody earlier this year of bob owen and kirk it's not quite at that level but but again it's it's in that vein and i agree like i like karen gillen overall but i actually think she's better when it's a little lighter like uh like in jumanji you know it's still kind of action stuff but she's just i think a better performer that way this is like her trying to be like uma thurman and kill bill not as convincing I like yeah, you can do the action of it all, but like the, the the emotion of it is maybe not all the way there.
0: How did you feel about Angela Bassett? I I just something about her performance I just found like very strange. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I'm not. i I'm not sure. Like her and Michelle Yeoh in particular, it's like they they not someone. I two two actors I would have expected to pop up in something like this. Oh. You know. Given not the status of their their careers, you know Lena Hetty, it's one of her first notable roles post Thrones. by from mm-hmm. what I can remember, Um but yeah, like Yo and and Bassett, they're just kind of there. But I don't know. I, I kind of like the energy, like the, the stuff with the library. You know, early yeah. going when they're like dressing down Karen Gillan, deciding if they're going to kill her or not. Like I like that. That was fun.
0: Well, I wanted to ask, you know, in that library scene, they they all use different weapons. Uh, You know, Florence Michelle Yao has a chain that she's like whipping around and yeah. angela bassett's got the hammers what would be your weapon what would you want to use in that that scenario
1: oh god that's a good question
0: i thought um, the chains were pretty
1: pretty sick honestly yeah in video games when it's melee weapons i always try and get something super up close so i don't something boring like a, just a normal sword i guess i don't know
2: yeah
1: oh yeah, not, I not a, a gold bar
0: That that was a a pretty fun. I uh, need a little range. I need to take advantage of my long arms. (laughs) That's that's true. Play to your strengths. Um, (laughs) you know, I think overall, if you're on Netflix looking for something to watch, you can do a lot worse than gunpowder milkshake. So, just just one last note: I really love the laughing gas stuff.
1: Like, yeah, those guys just all high on laughing gas can't talk without laughing.
0: Made me laugh like that was just it was really funny. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's a fun movie
0: overall. And uh, I didn't find Space Jam 2 to be less fun, surprisingly. Um, Space the Space Jam 2 has been something that's been rumored for a very long time, right? Like people thought maybe MJ would do another one, didn't happen. Blake LeBron's Griffin, been, yeah, Blake Blake Griffin. Yeah. Like
1: early early on, like Lob City Blake Griffin, when it was like when Blake Griffin's like, oh, I like to do stand
0: up and stuff. It's like, oh Blake Griffin, you know, he could yeah. do
1: the next Space Jam.
0: It did make sense. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to go from Michael Jordan and LeBron James to Blake Griffin. But at that time, he was yeah. kind of being tapped as like he could potentially get there. Obviously, some knee issues, but. Um, what were your expectations going into this? I had no <laughs> expectations, man,
1: because here None? I'll just say it now. Space Jam 1 sucks. So I mean Space Jam 2 also being bad doesn't bother me. I don't like Space Jam one. I think it's fucking dog shit, honestly. Nothing about it? You don't like anything about it? You don't have like, I have no nostalgic... nostalgia for
0: it as a kid. No. Wow. I
1: watched it like once as a kid. I didn't didn't really care for it at all. Um yeah. and I like like the Looney tunes fine. Like I'd watch Looney Tunes if they happen to be on Cartoon Network or something. But like sure. Yeah, like it just does it. I don't feel like it does the live action and animation stuff nearly as well as
0: like something more lauded like Hoofing Roger Rabbit or something, you know, from wow. a similar time. But I mean, like, you're talking about one of the most well-respected uh, <laughs> animation movies of all time, Dave. I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the
1: thing. Like, like it. it I think the, what's the funnest stuff? Like, it is seeing like people in the real world. But it, it you know, looking at it as an adult, it's like just craving, you know, IP yeah. from the '90s because oh. it was a continuation of like a, what, It was a Gatorade commercial between MJ and the Looney Tunes, or maybe not Gatorade, but something else. so the fact that that space jam a new legacy day and date theaters and hbo max from Warner brothers is literally ip to the max like it's the most meta thing and presents itself as self-aware but actually isn't that self-aware at all like it's like also like really like craven brand everything like i was surprised to see it go that way i don't know if anyone really thought that was what we were going to get until we saw that trailer and we're like wait a minute is that the guys from a clockwork orange there in the background (laughs) watching the game you know the guys that murdered old people and raped girls like is that them yeah because they're warner brothers ip in quotes kubrick movies being ip in the first place is kind of annoying but like what like yeah it's just so it, it's so like commercial everything about space jam right like it, it's, it's almost super specific like like obviously there's mainstream movies and franchises and stuff but like space jam everything about it is is, is commercial and it, it, they somehow managed to take it take it up to 10 with this new one
0: yeah i mean it couldn't be any more commercial um it, it's just really funny to like watch the the basketball scenes and to see all the characters in the background who are obviously just like people that aim for a casting call and they put in a costume you know like they have batman and robin in the back of like half the scenes and they don't look anything like the adam west batman or the i I don't know played robin for the adam west uh show but um yeah it's just it's it is extremely campy i have a little bit more nostalgia or Space Jam 1. I mean anytime when I was in elementary school we had that that TV cart rolled in. We almost knew it was going to be Space Jam and hmm. uh a lot of a lot of good memories associated with that. But it, it I agree it's not not a great movie, but it's a it's a relic, you know. I think it's just a part of that time. It's very 90s, you know. You, <laughs> you look at the basketball players who are uh in Space Jam 1. You also have Michael hmm. Jordan, but then what, Muggsy Bogue and Charles, uh, Charles Barkley, yeah. Who else? Ewing,
1: uh, Larry Johnson, and... uh, is it Sean Kemp? I think, yeah, Sean yeah. Kemp,
0: that's yeah, cool. it's all
1: 90s players, obviously,
0: yeah, um, that's really funny. And then, and, you know, you get this one, I only knew four of the, four of the five because you have, you have what, Dame, AD, Clay, and uh, Sue Bird, but was that Candace Parker as the other? Uh, no, that wasn't Sue Bird, that was Diana Tarasi. And, and then
1: Tarassi, that was, right. um, uh, Nieka, uh I
2: was gonna say
1: gotcha. one uh, one of the best players in
0: WNBA alongside Tarasi, who's arguably the greatest, the greatest of player. all time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, my, my apologies to Diane Tarasi, you can, you know, getting your is super they, they, also they kind of rock really similar good. haircuts when they play. I, I get it. And also they were both Yukon of like a earlier time. So, um, those U, early Yukon teams, right? Goddamn force, but, um, I thought this was better than I expected it to be. In all honesty, uh, I went in expecting this to be absolute uh, trash, and while I don't think it's you know good, I s- I still think it's enjoyable. It's a fun kids movie, um, so I'm I'm gonna say this this surpassed my ex- my very low expectations. So mm. How about for you?
1: Yeah, it's like watching it. Like there's so much setup the movie right like the first hour is like all like table setting somehow but again it's like table setting in the warner brothers lot like it's so weird (laughs) you know and then like it's all the animation too like you have like you know normal like modern like cg 2d animation for the looney tunes and lebron gets it digitized and all that but then like we go to the game and like the looney tunes are like different style animation they almost look it's not claymation but they kind of look more like clay model Mm. to me like i'm not really sure exactly what that was but definitely noticeable yeah i mean i i think it's like like there was fun moments like i I, because it's so commercial you can't help but notice uh a lot of the meta stuff like um (laughs) when bugs bunny's like explaining the premise of the movie and he's like hmm that sounds familiar (laughs) because he's a space jam all over again Thought that was really good. Lola it even said, well,
0: says we've done this before.
1: Yeah, like, and then it's like, uh, was it was it Don Cheadle, uh, our villain, uh, Algae Rhythm,
0: which is a funny name. Oh my god,
1: uh, he was he was talking about oh LeBron like leaving that. That's his M.O. He left Cleveland.
2: He yeah. left Miami,
1: left Cleveland again. Watch out, Lakers. And I was like, <laughs> that's really funny to see like the self awareness coming from LeBron. Someone who's very famous for uh, being so aware of his image since he was like 15 years
0: old because he had no choice, mm-hmm. you know. So I appreciated seeing that. Yeah, I appreciate seeing that, too. I actually thought some of the Looney Tunes stuff was pretty funny. Um, when Daffy Duck says, your son plays for the other team. And just like that screen grab going around now, like, um, I, I don't know if you follow. Uh, is it—is it, is it Craig? Uh, the uh, is it Craig Smith, who's the music critic? Um, I don't know. I don't Sometimes Oh, no well I, I forgot who it was but sometimes he uh, the follow the person I follow tweets LGbtqi stuff and that is just like going around uh LGBT Twitter like people saying your son plays for the other team I thought that was hilarious and just some of the looney tune stuff I just thought really worked for me um Daffy I, was for, funny Daffy is always funny man like yeah I love him um I, yeah I thought it was fine it's I I thought the the scene where they Kind of find all the looney tunes who went out and did were into the different worlds and they have just a very blatant like uh recap like i don't know replica shot of the uh, amazonian games from wonder woman with lola mm-hmm. i thought that was a little uh superfluous just mad max
1: fury road of all movies like it's just it's so like a, it's so weird well, man because it's so well, how, how ip driven it is
0: yeah, well, and then they had Casablanca. Like, how many, Like, it's a kid movie, but it's yeah. like you have Casablanca as one of them. Just a side note for Even that. Even The um, Matrix. A lot of kids probably haven't oh, yeah. seen The Matrix. Although, I really did like, uh, it was that, uh, The Little Rat. Who is that? Um, who Wally, that. Oh, what's his name? Uh, the... Is it Popular yeah. Pew? No. This is like blasphemy right now, not knowing this. The, little, kind of... me- the little Mexican. Rodent, who is with the grandma in the matrix, but him doing the Neo stuff, I really enjoyed actually. But yeah, then you have Rick and Morty. How many kids are watching that? Mm. I don't know. Um, but just a quick side note Wonder Woman voiced by Rosario Dawson, yeah. In this, (laughs) what's so many random people? Um, I thought it was fine. What did you think of the basketball stuff?
1: Uh, it's alright. it's fun, you know, yeah. I guess the original Space Jam basketball stuff's a little more iconic. Just yeah. do do the nostalgia of it
0: all. But um all the Dame stuff was really strange.
1: Yeah. Kind of a weird mix of players to have in this. Like you got clay, dame, A D. Obviously we know why AD's there, but like I don't know. Like I guess I don't know, like like I don't have like suggestions for like how to do Space Jam, especially because this one again, it's like so, like so meta. You know, it's like it's like in your face. Mm-hmm. um The serververse, you know, it's like, yeah, oh, Jesus, it's, just, it, it's like well,
0: we thought Ready Player One was bad. <laughs> just you wait, <laughs> yeah. um Quick side note: Speedy Gonzalez is the. Little, there we go. Uh, yeah, what was he a rodent or? He's a uh, mouse, maybe mouse. Yeah, also voiced by Gabriel Iglesias. Uh, fluffy
1: so it's pretty cool i actually um, liked when when uh lebron when trying to get the team together lebron and bugs and like lebron's like oh yeah we need superman and uh, king khan be great on the boards <laughs> like naming yeah. all these wbip characters that obviously it won't be in the movie for mm-hmm. the actual basketball stuff i thought that was really funny
0: yeah i thought that was pretty good too um yeah overall space jam it's fine uh, any other thoughts on it
1: you know i LeBron, I mean, LeBron's acting like almost entirely on screens, so I don't blame him because he's not a real actor. But like LeBron, he was a better actor in Trainwreck, playing a fictional version of himself. I'll say that. Then again, like these settings don't do non-actors any favors. We we know that as well. But uh, he was—I thought LeBron would be a little little better. Like he—he was definitely like, I'm reading my
0: lines, you know. (laughs) Yeah, he made Karen Gillan look. Totally, like uh, I don't know, Emmy or an award-winning actor, Oscar-winning actor. Um, Yeah, he was very stoic. But um, you know, it's a kids' movie. I think kids will enjoy it. It's it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard for me to like really critique a movie that's like so blatantly for kids and so blatantly just supposed to like pump WB as a as a product. So I don't know. It's fine. Space Jam exceeded my very low expectations. If you have HBO Max, check it out. Um, but why don't we wrap up there, Dave? What do we got for next week?
1: G.I. Joe, back again, baby. Snake Eyes, Henry Golding, obviously seen that. We also have M. Night Shyamalan's return with Old and the return of Ted Lasso, season two on yeah. Apple TV+. Plus. And also looking forward to the
0: UK rapper Dave's second album coming out this friday so we got some stuff tune in at nostalgia pod on twitter soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod youtube.com slash nostalgia pod we'll be talking about donda as well peace out